Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. Today's episode is with Kristen Hatton. Kristen is a mother of three and has written several books for tweens and teens. I invited her on the podcast after listening to the first season of her podcast, Redemptive Parenting. What is redemptive parenting, you may ask? Well, we are talking about that today. We also discuss parenting from a place of grace versus behavior modification, taking time to address the heart behind the action, and the value of apologizing to your children. Listen to what Kristen has to say about kids and moralism. But I'm convinced that what these kids who grow up in the church and and very often are super involved in the youth group, what they're abandoning is moralism. They are tired of trying to live up to the standard put before them, and they feel guilty because they know they haven't. um, And so they leave. What they often don't know, and I, I think this is surprising to a lot of us because they've grown up in the church, is they don't know the true gospel. For them, Christianity has always been about living holy. It's all about behavior. I mean, they've heard Jesus died for me, but they haven't been captivated by the grace of Jesus and understand that he not only died, but he lived for them. After listening to today's episode, I hope you were encouraged to slow down and ask God to reveal the heart issue behind your child's action and ask him to empower you to take the time to address that heart issue. And when you fail to do so, remember, God is our father. He forgives and redeems so we can do the same moving forward free of guilt. Good morning, Kristen. Thank you so much for taking time to be on the Grace Enough podcast this morning. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to our conversation. Yeah, as we get going, just introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell everybody a little bit about what you do and your family. Well, I am in Edmond, Oklahoma, originally from Texas, but we moved here 11 years for my husband to plant a church. Prior to that, he was doing college ministry at Baylor in Waco. Um, so we've been here 11 years. I'm a pastor's wife, of course. Then um, we've got three children. One is a senior in college, and then and she's a girl, and then two boys that are in high school. One is a senior. So we're about to have two graduating. And I am, I've written three books for teenagers, but now I'm getting a master's degree in counseling. So that is consuming all my time right now as I'm just reading constantly. Yes. Well, and you have a podcast as well that you can tell our listeners a little bit about. I do. In fact, my husband and I are just launching our second season. We we don't do it weekly. We are just doing it seasonally. Um, we realized with both of our schedules, it was just impossible to do it you know, all the time. But yes, we started that, the Redemptive Parenting Podcast. Um, we had five episodes in our first season, and we're about to have five more episodes and then a few bonus episodes sprinkled in every now and then. Yeah, I'm excited for season two to launch, and that's what we'll be talking about today is redemptive parenting. And so before we dig into what redemptive parenting is, I love to ask my guests, when did you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? And tell us a little bit about your faith journey with him. Sure. Well, I'm one of those people who I literally don't know a day without Jesus. So I'm so thankful that I'm so thankful that I have Christian parents and grandparents, and and so does my husband. Um, So that's really been special. So yes, grew up in a Christian home, always went to church. 
However, though I knew a lot about God and the Bible, I feel like my real growth and understanding as a Christian has come as an adult and probably even in just the last 10 years, I would say. But the way I see growth now is totally different than what I might have said before. Um, Growth is not sinning less and less and getting better and better and doing all the right things as I might have thought in the past. It's more about seeing our sin rightly. And that can be scary because we don't obviously want to sin, but seeing our sin is a good thing because it drives us to know more of our need for a Savior. Mm -hmm. So I see growth as growth Mm -hmm. independence and weakness just knowing that we need Jesus. But in that process too, I've come to read the Bible differently. We often think the Bible is an instruction book on how to live and we flip through it and we're looking for Bible verses that relate to what we're going through. Um, But we don't really know how to read certainly the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So um, the Bible is the one story about Jesus with everything from every story pointing to him. So to read the Bible rightly in every text, we have to look for what my husband calls the fallen condition focus, or where's the sin, the brokenness, the need for the Savior. And then the big T, as he calls it, which is the truth. Where do we see a pointer to redemption? Where does grace break in? And then apply it to ourselves. So with that big umbrella, the grand story of redemption is our umbrella story. Then we have the gospel lens to see ourselves rightly and see who God is for us and to view the world around us. So that shift in my theological thinking has happened. I mean, that's happened over the last 20 years, but I feel like the more and more as I've grown in understanding that um, is where I've grown in grace. And obviously that's influenced in my parenting. Well, and I think that's so helpful too, as just this week I was reading about Judah and Tamar. And it is when you're reading the Old Testament, if you aren't at a place where you're always looking for the gospel truth and the redemption, you can certainly be like, God, what are you doing here? How do we call Judah a blessed man when he's like, you know, sleeping with the woman he thought was the prostitute? And then he's like totally exiling her because she was, there's just so much that can be confusing. But when you start looking at the sin nature of man and how God keeps his promises from the start to the finish, meaning from Genesis all the way through, it certainly helps you to read God's word differently. And I'm so grateful for that. Yes, me too. I mean, it makes just, it makes it make sense instead of looking at these people because no, there's, I mean, we look at it as a moral lesson, but it's more like, don't be like him. Well, that would be the case for almost every, you know, Bible character. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, as we dig into redemptive parenting, let's just start really basic. What is redemptive parenting? And I kind of started that. So it started just as my kind of an Instagram, redemptive parenting. I just on a whim started it. And then I realized you can't find that language very easily online. But I know I know what it is, but it's good for just the definition to be kind of laid out there. Yes, for sure. Because after I started it, I'm like, people may not really know what this is at all. So yes, I'll back up and just kind of tell you about the word redemptive. It comes from redemption, which is a slave trade term. Mm -hmm. So when a redemption price was paid, a slave was then set free, which is exactly what Jesus did for us. He perfectly obeyed all that God required and then gave up his life in our place, giving us his righteous records. So he paid the price for what our disobedience and sin deserves. Mark 10, 45 talks about Jesus giving his life as a ransom. So that 
you know, price, Romans 3, 24, being justified as a gift of his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. So we were set free, but not without a price. It was God's grace to us that he gave us his son in order to make us right. So I think grace is another one of those words that I think people, you know, we throw it out there, but maybe we don't really understand what is grace. Mm -hmm. So a definition that I really like is God's goodness to the guilty. Yeah. So in thinking about living redemptively or redemptive parenting, I see it as seeking to give grace as we abide in his grace. So this means with my children and our family, confessing, repenting, forgiving, and giving grace should be normal patterns of relating with each other. But those are things that are not easy. I mean, it's it's hard to see our sin and, and then to because of our pride, we don't want to confess it and say it. And, or we think that, oh, you know, we don't want our kids to see this about us. And then like in terms of their sin, I mean, when we think about giving grace, that does not mean that we don't, that we excuse their sin or that we don't discipline. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not loving. Hebrews twelve six tells us that God disciplines those he loves. But as God does with us in our sin, it means that he doesn't hold it over us. Right. And so right. I think... I mean, one thing that my husband and I have talked about when he was growing up, he would like (laughs) sit at the table and like put cereal boxes all around him, like as a shield, you know, after he'd gotten in trouble because he just didn't want to be, see his dad and didn't want to be seen. And so we've never wanted our kids to feel like, you know, when they've gotten in trouble or been disciplined that we're now disconnected and they're band upstairs or that we're not for them. So we've always had this process of how we walk through um, dealing with sin so that they know at the end of that, that they're deeply loved, but also just redemptive parenting. It, I mean, it's dealing honestly with the root causes or the idols underneath the behavioral sin and looking through a gospel lens to interpret all of life. And I think that's huge because I constantly want to be pointing my kids to Jesus. I want them to see their need of him. And I want them to be able to view the world, the brokenness of the world as a result of the fall and in need of redemption. Yeah. And I mean, even as I sit and listen to the description, it's just a lot. It's a lot that you can process in your head, but sometimes it's not necessarily what comes out of your mouth or out of your actions because it takes a lot of practice. And so I know for me, something that is the hardest part of parenting with a nine, seven and four year old is this parenting from a place of grace versus moral or behavior modification parenting. Mm -hmm. And so Tell us a little bit, just to lay another level of the foundation, um, or another layer, I should say, what is that? Some examples of parenting for, you know, behavior modification versus kind of this grace-based parenting. Yeah, sure. I mean, our natural inclination is behavior modification. We may not have put that term to it, but I mean, that's simply just working to change behavior from bad to good. If your child is driving you crazy, asking you over and over again for something, very often we give in simply to get her to stop. I mean, that's one way of behavior modification. Or if your child is riding under the grocery cart and keeps getting out, even though you've told him no. A behavior modification tactic might be to give him your phone or iPod to stop. So it's just addressing the behavior, but it's not dealing with the heart or dealing what's driving the behavior. With the teenagers, we preach morality. I mean, we say, 
don't drink, don't do drugs, don't bake, don't have sex. And we think if we can get them through the teen years without doing any of that stuff, then they'll be good. But what's our focus? It's avoiding the bad behaviors and we miss the heart and all of that. I mean, Jesus said to the Pharisees, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So our kids may do all the right things, or at least when we're watching, but only because they've learned to play the game. It's not obedience to the Lord because they want to live pleasing to him. It's they want to avoid punishment, but that's what we're driving them to do because we're just trying to replace the bad behavior, the inconvenient behavior, the behavior that we think, you know, makes us look bad because we fear what other people think about us if our kids are acting out. But a few things with behavioral modification or a a moralistic mindset, a few things that happen is kids learn to be sneaky and not Uh, tell you what's going on with them or their friends. And we may falsely assume that they're doing great. I mean, they're going to church and they look like they have it all together. Another thing is we just neglect the heart level conversation and we never get to the root underneath the sin. And we present to our kids that we have it all together because typically if that's our focus behavior, then we see ourselves as an example. And so we have to do it all right, or at least let them see ourselves as having it all together. And and that's just our thing is being a good Christian, right? Behavior equals being a good Christian. But we live very unaware of the sinful motives and ruling idols in our heart. And if that's true of us, then we aren't going to be able to help our children identify those ruling idols in their heart. So what all this leads to is just a disconnect between the parent and the child. And I mean, you may have seen the very high statistics of kids leaving the church upon college and adulthood. I mean, it's 70 to 80 percent. But I'm convinced that what these kids who grow up in the church and and very often are super involved in the youth group, what they're abandoning is moralism. They are tired of trying to live up to the standard put before them, and they feel guilty because they know they haven't. Um, And so they leave. Mm -hmm. What they often don't know, and I, I think this is surprising to a lot of us because they've grown up in the church, is they don't know the true gospel. For them, Christianity has always been about living holy. It's been all you know, all about behavior. I mean, they've heard Jesus died for me, but they haven't been captivated by the grace of Jesus and understand that he not only died, but he lived for them, that God accepts them because of Jesus' record, not our own, which means we are free to come to him even in our sin and brokenness. And so I think that's yeah. the big difference with redemptive parenting is it enters into the sin and brokenness, knowing that we are sinful and we are broken. And so we are not shocked by sin. And if I know that about me, then I know that that's true about my children and about everybody else. And so we can enter in with compassion and identify with our kids in their struggles. As I'm listening to you, I think of this just incident that happened with me just a few weeks ago, a friend came up and said, you know, would you pray for me? I have a good friend from high school. She went to a Christian school her whole life, which she's very grateful for. But this friend from high school, her and her husband, I mean, just involved in a whole tangle of just bondage, really. And a lot of it had to do with pornography. Mm -hmm. And this friend of mine said, you know, Amber, you'd be so surprised. I only graduated with like 70 people. But it is just rampant in this class of people. And a lot of it comes back around to we just hid everything. Because we knew at school, not that that's not happening in other schools. That's not what I'm saying. But the, the drive to be good and to do all things right. Just this culture of, I cannot admit any mistake. If I do, I'm going to be punished. And again, it's not that you're avoiding discipline, but it's more of 
how can we come alongside you and help you change this behavior, not because we want you to be moral and good, but because this is tearing you away from the one who loves you the most and who will produce the most joy in you, and that is Christ. Right. I mean, the church and Christians should be the safest people and place that there is, but you're absolutely right. I feel like, you know, we are like shocked. We're like the Pharisees. I mean, we see people caught in sin and we think, how is that possible? Well, when are they going to ever feel safe to come to us and confide in us if that's our reaction? And so I think that's why then we stay covered up because we don't see other people's brokenness and we think that we're the only ones struggling. So then we feel more shame and it's just a masquerade, unfortunately. Yeah, so sad. Well, what are some practical ways for parents to replace this behavior modification with more of a redemptive parenting mindset? Yeah, and it takes time because it takes with the heart and the motivation. Like Mm -hmm. I talked about earlier, just the sin beneath the sin. It's getting to the root. For instance, recently, one of my teenagers was caught doing something wrong. And it would have been easy to just ground him because of his bad behavior, you know, and tell him, don't do that again. Right. But when you take the time to deal with what drove that behavior, what was so appealing to him about doing what he did, it came down to fear of man. He cared about what those other boys thought of him and he didn't want to look bad. Well, I get that. I care about what other people think about me. I don't want to look bad. So then I could identify him with him in his sin and show compassion. And so then we're at the root. And so instead of just, you know, punishing him for this bad behavior, we could deal with the idol and pray for him very specifically that God not would help him avoid that behavior, but that God would help him to care more about what Jesus thought of him than about the opinion of this other teenager. I mean, that was that's the root that he needs um, the intervening work of grace to help him to not be ruled by other people's opinions of him. But if we would have not gone to the heart level, you know, we would have just seen it as he did this bad thing and we have to discipline him for that. And I think the younger we start talking to our kids about idols, just giving them that category, the better. Because otherwise, a teenager, if, if they have, if they're not familiar with that term, that may not make sense. But we can make anything an idol, and often we think, oh, you know, it's a material thing. But I mean, it's so often it is, you know, our desires and our motives and these things that have a hold on us. Um, that drives us towards certain behavior. Well, and so I let me interrupt go- you real quick and say, so in that instance, you found out what had happened with your son. He comes home. Did you still enforce the consequence of grounding or was it just the conversation or like, what does that process even look like? Because the reality is the hardest part for me is the time, like you said, the sitting down, and I know in the toddler years that I don't have all toddlers, elementary and toddler years, it can be a little bit different because I do have to constantly look at the other two and say, I'm talking to your brother. I'm talking to your sister. You have to give me the time to have this conversation. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, let's say, just tell us he walks through the door and what does that process first look like? Are you sitting down immediately to have this conversation with him? Well, the way that one kind of unfolded, Yes, we, my husband and I, and he were all in the breakfast room having this conversation. And he did have 
consequences. I mean, he was, I can't remember exactly now. I, I don't think that we allowed him to do social plans for a couple weekends. Yes. So it's not that there's not consequences, right. but by the end of the conversation, like he knows that we love him. We haven't left the conversation. We're like the next two weeks that he's not allowed to have social plans. He's upstairs hiding because, you know, mom and dad are mad at him. No, those weekends actually ended up being really good because I think the three of us like watched a movie. We hung out. I mean, it's not like we were just, you know, making him pay. You know, I mean, that's what redemption, we're not holding his sin over him. We have compassion with him in that moment. And so, yes, I mean, he's 16. This happened, you know, I guess he was 15 at the time, but it was a conversation. And the older they get, the more they're able to identify and see those idols. But we're helping to pull that out. And we've been doing that all along. So it wasn't something just out of the blue where he was like, I don't know. I mean, he was able to identify in himself exactly why he engaged in that behavior. He knew that it was, you know, the fear of man. That's what I wanted to get at was when you take the time to sit down with your kids. And this happened to me yesterday. I didn't take the time and I got really explosive with them. And then last night at bedtime, I laid with my youngest and just said, you know what, today, mommy, she didn't respond very well. And I owe you an apology while what you were doing wasn't the right thing. That doesn't mean, you know, that I have the right to be angry and explosive. And so we went into this big conversation. But I love that you said he didn't spend the next two weeks feeling like he needed to hide in his room because we were mad at him. Because like you said, that's where the disconnect happens. The shame and the guilt then becomes so heavy on us for messing up mm -hmm. that it's hard for you to ever, or it's hard to relate to the reality that Jesus, that God Almighty doesn't do that same thing to us. Right. He doesn't shut us out when we make mistakes. Right. Absolutely. That we know that we can still go boldly to his throne, even in our sin, and we're accepted and loved. And ultimately, that's what I want my kids to know. I want them to always know that they can go to him and that they're loved. But yeah, it all takes time and just kind of backing up, thinking about when they were younger, they don't know what those idols are that are ruling their hearts. So it takes time to help show them like we get to help shape their thinking about that. But that takes time, of course. And I love what you just said about, you know, the, the confessing to your son that, you know, you had exploded in anger or what impatience, whatever, because they need to see that from us. One yeah. thing that I learned the hard way with my daughter is that she had this perception of me that I had it all together mm -hmm. and that I didn't fail and mess up the way she did. And I realized that I not being transparent enough with the idols ruling me and where my sin was. And so she had this wrong view of me and it was making her feel worse about herself. Right. And so it's important, you know, that we do let our kids see that mom and dad are sinners and that we need Jesus and that we're all in the same boat together. Seeing it. And like you said, speaking it too. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, and I've said this on the podcast a lot, that I just have had, particularly with my daughter, just had to grab her little face and be like, listen, mommy, I'm a sinner parenting a sinner. Like, this is not a guilt and shame thing. It's just that I mess up. You mess up. We both need Jesus. 
And so let's take a moment right now and just calm our hearts and ask him to come and meet us right where we are, because (laughs) I mean, I'm like, don't think I'm perfect. If this is perfection, we're all in trouble. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, as we're talking, I mean, one of the hardest things is this intentionality on the behalf of parents. And just like kids, we become we start feeling the guilt and the shame of messing up. It's really, really hard sometimes to kind of come back around to go back into this grace-based parenting again. And so what is some encouragement that you would give to somebody out there who is like, I feel like I've just screwed up or I haven't started this yet and I want to, but my kids are older. What's some encouragement that you have for those of us who are really just living under that, oh, I've blown my chance? Mm, Yeah, thankfully, we've never blown our chance. You know, God is a God of redemption. And so even where we have failed, he is over us. I mean, he ultimately, he loves our children more than we do. So even where we have failed, he will take that and he can redeem that. Um, I think a great starting place when, where we see where we have failed is just acknowledging that to our kids. Absolutely. You know, and I mean, clean slate. I mean, that's, that's something that, especially when our kids were younger, we always, when we went through the discipline routine, you know, after they had been disciplined and we prayed and asked for forgiveness, we would be like, what does that now mean? And my daughter, especially, I can just still picture her to this day. She would get so excited and she'd say, clean slate. Even where we have failed, I mean, we too have been forgiven and redeemed and we have a clean slate. So it's never too late. But it does take a deep abidance in the Lord. I mean, it takes, I feel like never in my life have I known how much I need Jesus than in parenting. And especially- And all the parents said amen. (laughs) Yes. I mean, the older they get, the more I see that. Like, Mm. I cannot do it. And I'm one that I tend to be very self-sufficient and independent. And God has just been constantly breaking me of that. Like, I'm not in control and I don't have a clue. So, I mean, it starts with us. We need to be so connected to him, abiding in his word, because if we're not in his word, knowing his truth, um, seeing our sin rightly, then it's not going to be the overflow of our heart that comes out um, in our family and with our children. Mm -hmm. So I think that our number one thing is, you know, just being in the word, being in church, having fellowship with other believers, um, because that will influence then how we, you know, what's on the top of our mind. In the short term, you know, just fixing behavior, it does give us peace in a sense, you know, it's easier. Um, And and that's the thing. I think so often we just get tired because it is, it's exhausting to have to put in the hard work of shepherding their hearts and dealing with the roots. And it's like, ah, can't I just like, (laughs) um, yeah, exactly. And so, and that's really a huge reason why I started redemptive parenting is just to help encourage parents towards the long range approach. Um, because it is, it's a marathon and we're not going to see necessarily the results every day. You know, we may not see things for years down the road, but we're planting seeds. We're building, I mean, everything that we do every day, it's helping to equip them and point them to Jesus. But of course, because that is so tiring, we need Jesus. Like we have to depend on him to help us to give us the strength and the peace and the endurance and um, wisdom. I mean, we just can't do it. 
Well, Um, and I think too, like the idea that when you get really, really tired, changing your mindset from this place of constantly beating yourself up for it and instead saying, just like we say to our kids, clean slate, it's almost like in your relationship with God, let him be that the father and let him say clean slate. You've confessed this to me. The Mm -hmm. next time this incident, a similar situation comes up, my mercies are new. You get, trust me, you're going to have plenty of opportunities to parent differently. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yes. Because we're not going to do it all perfectly. You know, we're just not. And I will add this disclaimer. I mean, even if we did do it all perfectly, our kids may still rebel. So I just want to give that because this is not a formula that if you do it this way, then your kids are going to turn out right. You know, I mean, God is over all that. But just to faithfully continue just plowing away, um, knowing that this is what I said, redemption or redemptive parenting looks like is that it's just this constant cycle of seeing our sin, confessing, asking for forgiveness, giving grace, getting grace. Um, And that's real life. I mean, that's not just in our homes. That should be how we live, you know, all of our life with all people. Yeah. You know, and like I said, growing in the Lord is growing to see our sin more and more. And so it's not getting better and better. It's living more dependent on him. And so, like you said, we we see I totally blew up with my kids and I or I totally didn't parent in the way I missed this opportunity to deal with their hearts. That's okay. God has grace for you in that. Yes. And there's another, like you said, another opportunity waiting right around the bend for you to parent a little bit differently. And that's something you're, like you said, it is so true. Like while we won't do all things right, really encouraging parents to understand that kids still have choice. You know, I mean, we, every individual has to choose whether they're going to follow God or not. And it doesn't matter always what you do. Our role is just to do the training and to hope that they take that training and use it in their lives. Absolutely. And that's where, I mean, I realize I don't trust God very well with my kids. Well, and I think that's true of all of us. (laughs) It's really easy because if you're, it sounds like you're a little bit like, I mean, we're similar in the way, and I think a lot of moms are, like we want to control situations. Sure. And you realize how little control you have. Right. Well, so do you have any recommended resources that you would put out there for parents who really want to start adopting more of this mindset practically? I know your podcast, like you said, with the clean slate, you use that example. It's either in the first episode or the second. I can't recall which one, but I mean, I immediately put that into practice with my middle daughter, particularly because she just gets much more emotionally attached to the discipline. And so we have to really be intentional with being like, listen, this does not mean mommy's mad at you. This is just part of what we're doing to help you acknowledge what happened and help you realize that that wasn't the best thing. And so what else besides your podcast um, are some resources that you would point people towards? Yeah. And I love that you've implemented that. I forgot that we talked about that on one of our episodes. You know, my very favorite is Paul Tripp. Um, Age of Opportunity is his book for parents of like tweens and teens. And that's like my very favorite book, but all his books, Shepherding Your Child's Heart, Instructing Child's Heart, his newer book, Parenting. I mean, they are all great. Yeah. Because his newest, not his newest one, maybe it was his last one. It's like 12 habits of Mm, of parenting or 
That's I a know. really great one. That's so practical too. It's really, um, an I feel easy like read. other books and just like, you know, makes it, yes, very, um, like just brings it all together in a very um, succinct way. And then I'm walking through another book right now with some young moms that I also recommend. It's called Childproof by Julie Lowe. Okay. It's a really good one. We've been having some great conversation from that one. So those are probably my top go-to at the moment. Okay. And I'll make sure that I link those in the show notes along with your podcast just so that people can find them. Yeah. Thank you. Well, as we begin to close up, I like to ask my guests a few questions. And so in your life, besides salvation, um, when is a time you feel like you've really had to cling so tightly to the grace of God? Oh, goodness. (laughs) Every day. I mean, every day, yes. But I feel like sometimes we have these certain seasons in our life where it's just really all we can do to make it to the next day. Yeah. Yes, definitely. My daughter experienced a traumatic event a couple years ago. Um, She was in college. So away from us, she's about three and a half hours away from us. And I mean, that's so, so hard when you can't be there. But then also like, I couldn't, even if I was there, I couldn't fix it. I couldn't change what happened to her. I couldn't, I was helpless. And, you know, even though I couldn't understand why God had allowed this and, But at the same time, I had no, I just had to cling to him to be strong for me because I needed his peace, his wisdom, his comfort. I mean, I just felt kind of laid out like I don't even know how to walk in this and how to come alongside her. And that, that event really affected our entire family. So, but God's used it. I mean, that's the thing about trials and suffering is that I do see how God used it for good because it did bring us in greater dependence and awareness of our need for him all the time. Um, And for her, especially too, and just bringing our family together even. I mean, all this, yeah, all of a sudden the the main things become the main things. Like so many other little things that consume our minds or our time, you know, kind of fall away because it's like your eyes, it's like I had to just stay fixed on him. Yeah. Well, and lastly, If you had the opportunity to sit down with your great-grandchildren and offer them some wisdom, what is something that you would like to share with them? Uh, What I would want them to see is that his word is more true than what they see. In other words, our circumstances, that whispering voice of Satan that, you know, is constantly (laughs) at us, it's a lie that um, we believe that lie that God is not good that I deserve happiness all the time, that God is not with me, that God does not love me. And so we need another voice and we have it in his word. I mean, written across scripture from the Old Testament to the new and what we see that the Israelites experienced, even though they grumbled, but God was steadfast in his faithfulness and his love to them. Just like the Israelites, we will turn away from him and we'll accuse him of abandoning us, but he never forsakes us. And so I just would want them to know the steadfast love of the Lord is more real than what we see mm-hmm. in our little reality. Something I talk about a lot is gospel self-talk because nobody talks to you more than you talk to you. It's um, <laughs> so, like, what are we telling ourselves, you know? And so this is something, and like what I was just talking about, just when my daughter went through um, such a time of suffering and trial is just, but all the time is just like constantly reminding myself what is true. Who is God? What does he tell me is true? He is with us. He is faithful. He's not going to forget us. I mean, just constantly 
like a broken record. I need that yeah. to um, bat the lies of the world. And so I hope that that's the mantra that my children are learning from us that they will pass to their children and my grandchildren and great grandchildren. I love that. That Well, thank you so much for being here today, Kristen. Let everybody know where we can find you on social media and um, your website. Yeah, sure. My website is just my name, kristenhatton.com. Same with Instagram. I think it's Kristen underscore Hatton and then Redemptive Parenting. I've got two different accounts. But yes, I would love to connect with you. Um, If you have teenagers, my books were published by New Growth Press. Um, There's three. FaceTime is just for girls specifically. And then the other two are for boys and girls. Well, thank you again so much for sitting down with me today. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun to connect. Thanks, friends, for listening to this week's episode. Next Tuesday, I'm chatting with Rachel Jones about life at the crossroads of faith and culture. If you would like to connect before then, you can find me at Grace Enough Podcast underscore Amber on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.